We speak a lot on the show about helping the one-person marketing team, but I believe it's also important to learn from other big marketing agencies too. Welcome into another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. I am your host, Blythe Brimley, and we cover how your favorite stuff and people get from point A to B. In this episode, we're joined by Hawk Media founder and author, Eric Huberman. His agency, Hawk Media, helps companies outsource their marketing, and it's working like crazy. With locations all over the globe, they've been able to help more than 3,000 companies establish and exceed their marketing goals. Eric joins the show to talk about it all, plus tell us about his new book, The Hawk Method, to help small business owners, small to medium business size owners, with the most important marketing strategies. Eric Huberman, he is the CEO of Hawk Media. He's thought leader, author also of The Hawk Method. So welcome in, Eric, to the show. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, I, I usually like to start off interviews with marketers on asking them, what is the most annoying thing in marketing today? <laughs> most annoying thing, I would say, I would say what's probably annoying most people is uh, the changes with Facebook. So many people rely on mm-hmm. Facebook and now Facebook can only track a seven-day window on their advertisements to how it performs. And so almost no marketing performs within seven days. So it's just completely underreporting. So everyone that's trying to manage their marketing through Facebook is just seeing bad data. Yeah, I, I feel for the agencies out there that strictly focus on just Facebook ads because yeah. um, they're they're probably feeling a, a little bit of pain right about now and for the last several months and probably for the foreseeable future. But let's get a, yep. a little bit of insight on onto who Eric is. How did you, you know, sort of get involved with marketing and then start up, you know, one of the more successful companies in in all of marketing agencies? Thank you. Um, yeah, it, funny enough, I made fun of marketing majors in college, and I'm actually going back to my college to speak at three of the marketing classes uh, next week. <laughs> but uh, I had no interest in it. I was uh, a business management major, which really wasn't any better. But uh, I was going into real estate and I went into real estate exactly a week to the day before Lehman Brothers went bankrupt and the whole banking industry collapsed in 2008. And yeah, made no made $350 that year, first year out of college living in LA, which is not enough to pay your bills. So started scrambling and started an online music company and quickly realized that was my first online business and then had two e-commerce companies after that. And all three, it was easy to fulfill the actual operational side of the business and the product, but to add... To get customers was really the difficult part and the proactive nature of marketing. And so I started focusing on it. And so after you know, about five, six years of building my own e-com businesses and internet businesses, I realized I had a knack for it and had a ton of experience because I'd done it a lot more than full-time for five years and started advising consulting for other brands on how to take advantage of that. Realized how broken the marketing industry was. And so created Hawk with the idea of creating accessibility to great marketing, making it easy and nimble and flexible to work with amazing talent, amazing marketers. And you know, another way of putting it is Fortune 500 marketing for the masses. And that's how we started out. And we started with seven people around a little conference table. And now we're about 350 people. Uh, we just announced we opened our first office in Europe. We have a team in China and Philippines and Canada, all over the US. And uh, I've managed marketing for over 3,500 brands at this point. So it's been fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, well, how did you know from sort of an, did you know early on that you wanted to start, you know, a, a larger company or did you kind of no. were pushed in that way? So you, you wanted to stay small and then it just sort of came up on you? It was neither. I was open. Uh, I started, when I started building Hawk, I actually thought it was just a stepping stone to launching my next brand. 
And so I would built a little team, was helping some other companies while I figured, and I was going to launch a tea company actually was the original plan. And then, which was funny because I don't even drink tea. I just thought there was an opportunity in the space. <laughs> um, but I, I quickly through doing that started seeing how much what we were doing was needed. And so after a few months of working with my small team and working with our clients, I went, hey, there's probably some room. So we initially had like a four-year plan of how to scale it to be a real business. But that plan had nowhere near the what we've achieved at this point. And it took me probably after that four-year plan, which we did execute on really well, it took me probably another couple of years to really figure out what the next steps would be. And those were a couple of weird years. But then we got back on track and yeah, really have figured out where we see ourselves in the market, kind of the vision for the company. And speaking of that vision, you you recently just penned a book called The Hawk Method, and and you really talked yeah. about sort of the I yeah. guess the, from an eagle eye perspective. Yes, that book. I've seen it in a couple different interviews now with doing research for for this show, and and yeah. you you talk about how there's like three different principles within the book that most companies should follow. Can you sort of give us a you know an eagle eye view of what those principles yeah. are? No problem. Uh, yeah. So basically, the idea is there's three. Uh, pillars of marketing and kind of think of it as a tripod. If you don't do all three of these things, the entire thing topples over and that's how you build a marketing strategy. So number one is awareness. So what do you do to create new awareness for your product or service, whether it's advertising, uh, word of mouth, PR, the different things you can do to actually build awareness for your brand. And then after you build that awareness, there's this period between when they know you exist, when they actually buy called a purchase cycle. And a lot of people miss that. A lot of people that don't understand marketing, including a lot of marketers, miss the idea of this purchase cycle or consideration period. And during that period, you really have to do a lot to get someone to buy. And so from that point of awareness to the point of purchasing, we call it nurturing. And it's all the things you do to keep them involved and keep them engaged so that during that period, they buy. And that period can be between three weeks and three months or even more. It's usually not much faster than that. And so it's really important to do a lot in that period, as well as what you do after they buy to keep them coming back and keep increasing that lifetime value of your customer. And the last piece is trust synonymous with brand. And early on, when you're a new company, building trust has to do with third-party validation, things like testimonials, reviews, PR, influencer marketing, endorsement deals, things where you're borrowing trust from someone else that is trusted. And then over time, through delivering consistently, you can build uh, that trust with people and that becomes your brand. So whatever you deliver, good or bad, becomes your brand. And that's where third-party validation doesn't matter as much. And so when you're talking about these three principles, it, it sort of goes back to, you know, the, the storytelling aspect of, of different companies and different founders. A lot of times it's really difficult to pull that story out of these founders or out of these, these different brands. How do you get that out of them? Yeah, it, I mean, we do it a lot. So it's, you know, in terms of we really, we just ask a lot of questions is really the key mm-hmm. to it and trying to get them to a point like, I'd say everybody can explain their business in five minutes. It's can you explain it in a sentence? That's where we see the mm. biggest challenge in the, and the, one of the most important things. Because the problem is, is not like, yeah, if you have time to go explain your company to everyone you meet, and you have five minutes of everyone's time, then sure, yeah, that can be your pitch. Nobody has that though. And the biggest driver of business is still word of mouth. And so you have to make it really easy for other people to articulate what your company does. And so you want to give them that sentence and tee it up for them so they find it easy to talk about you. Because if they feel awkward talking about it, they're not going to do it. But if you can make it easy, then they will. Now, when most businesses where they need help the most, what what does that aspect look like? Because you've been building, you know, for you said yourself, you know, 3,500 brands now, where do most businesses need marketing help? So tactically, it's all over the board. It just depends. Like different businesses have different capabilities, different businesses have 
EDDs here and different sides of things. But what I do see is how to read marketing. That's really where I see people struggle a lot. They, I mentioned it with the Facebook challenge. Like, they're, the majority of people are still using Facebook ads and managing them through the Facebook platform and thinking that that data is what they should be managing by, which means the majority of people are really hurting themselves with marketing. And so, because they're making decisions on inaccurate data. And so, that understanding of what you need to be looking at and the nuance of how that works and actually, you know, really measuring your marketing properly so you know how to grow your business. That's the uh, difficult part that we have to help a lot of people. And frankly, we have to almost debate it with clients a lot of times because they've been taught some way of some method of measuring that's completely wrong. And we, we, we have that friction quite a bit where it's like, that isn't how your business is actually going to grow. And this way of managing marketing is not going to help you. And so we, we run into that a lot. It kind of sucks, I think, for a lot of these business owners because maybe they they sign up for a platform and they take all the training right. and then to find out, well, yep. everything that I've invested is now down the drain. So when a even business Facebook, gets which, to, oh, sorry, right? I, I was, well, I was just going to say, even Facebook right now, what they're saying to fix the issues that came up and what happened was iOS stopped letting them track all the things they used to track, so they don't have as much data. And they're giving people these fixes like, oh, well, if you get creative with this and you tweak that, and they're giving them these like complex ways to fix it where it's like, no, guys, just get a better tracking system so you can track it outside of Facebook and you'll be fine. Like this is way not... the, the What people forget is when Facebook changes their platform, their algorithm or when Google changes their algorithm, et cetera, consumer spending doesn't change. It's just the targeting systems, the, the tools change. That doesn't mean your end user changes. So... The money's still there. The share of wallet's still there. You just have to do a good job of still reaching them. And so because your tracking change doesn't mean the actual performance changed. And people really do forget that. Yeah, I think that that statement just by you sort of highlights the nuances that are involved with all these different platforms and right. how it really is like a part-time job in order to to understand the nuances from all of these different platforms, not just Facebook. And and speaking of which, what how should a business be prepared before they hire a company like yours that is just sort of serve as their outsourced CMO? Yeah, I would say you really want to get the business. I mean, this is really for early stage companies. Just make sure that you have over 10 grand a month to spend on marketing before you hire anyone internally, externally, freelance, whatever you decide to go with. Because if not, as a founder, as an owner of a business, you have to be able to drive that kind of revenue on your own. You have to be able to build your business to a certain point on your own before you go hire out. Because if you don't have enough resources to pay that person and have some resources for them to play with for marketing, it's a waste of your money. And the, you know, the little like $500,000 dips into marketing don't go anywhere. They're a waste of your time. They're a waste of your money. You should be focusing on things that can move the needle more than that. So yeah, really, it's about getting your budget in order. Other than that, I wouldn't set the expectation that you have to necessarily prepare in any way because I actually believe most businesses need to focus on having an incredible product or service and leave the other expertise to the people that are experts. I love that. So you, you teach them about the three principles from the book, and then you get them to a place where they're earning enough revenue to even afford a, a service like yours. And then that way, it, yeah. it's almost like you're you're fixing the ineff- inefficiencies before you you sort of supercharge your marketing efforts in order to to get to where you want to go. And and as a company, whenever they come to you for these different services, how do you sort of, I guess, quell the fear that you know I'm outsourcing my marketing to somebody? And it's my voice isn't going to be behind it. Is their voice still behind it? Or is there any fear of losing that whenever you're outsourcing? 
No, because we're we're working collaboratively. Like we're not just like, thanks, we're gonna go work in a vacuum and never tell you what we're doing. Like it's it's we we try to model ourselves like working as with employees as much as possible. Mm. So whether you have the person sitting, I mean, at this point with most businesses, there's literally no difference. They're not sitting in your office either way. So at this point, you have basically fractional experts in different verticals that have tons of experience, tons of insight into what's going on in your industry and across the board on these platforms. And they're coming to you with their expertise. And then we need your expertise as well. You're the passionate founder or the head of marketing or whatever it is that we're working with at that company that's going to know a lot more detail about the individual business. And that collaboration is really what's critical. So we're not just going to run with it on our own unless they literally have nothing. Sometimes we will be the ones that come up with that messaging and that positioning. But if that already exists and it's good, then we're going to run with what you have. Now, now switching gears a little bit from the company aspect and into your personal sort of work week as an entrepreneur, what does that work week look like for you? What are you prioritizing? Because as an author, as you know, you're trying to get the brand out there, you're trying to get the book out there, which I mean, you've already done an incredible job of that. But what does your day look like versus your week? What are you prioritizing? Yeah, it's it's been consistent for a few years now that about a third of my time is on the promotional side of the business. So waving the flag, beating the drum, the book, being on podcasts, you know, TV, all these different things. That's about a third of my time. About a third of my time is spent on expansion of the business. So M&A, we've bought nine companies at this point at Hawk. We launched our vent, second venture fund, a $25 million fund, soon to be 50. Uh, we launched Hawk Capital, which is uh, actually financing our clients and helping them with... Uh, working capital loans. And, you know, we have a lot of other things coming down the pike that how do we expand off of what we've already created? So that's about a third promotional, a third expansion, and a third strategic with my team. I have a great executive team, but I spend a lot of time with them thinking through the, you know, sort of playing whack-a-mole with the new problems of the business. As we grow, there's always something new. And so now, thankfully, I have a great team that I go to that specific touch point of like, hey, this is broken. Here's the point that's person that's responsible. Let's work together on how to fix it. And so there's a lot of that as well. So third strategic, a third expansion, a third promotional. So, I mean, it sounds like you guys are already like in a, in a, in a place where like business is doing very well. But what about for the companies that are, you know, a, a lot of logistics and freight companies, they're lucky to even have one person. They're, they're very high revenue, uh, low, uh, you know, probably mid, yeah. mid-level margins. But for a lot of them, they don't really have anybody that's in charge of their marketing. What, what, advice would you give to those folks who are wanting to get started with marketing, but just unsure of where to start? Yeah. I mean, I I don't mean to be (laughs) crude about it, but read the book. I mean, that was the idea that it's funny. I got one, I finally got a one, one star review on it. It's like, what is this? This is like marketing 101. It's like, yeah, that, that was (laughs) what it was supposed to be. It's like, here's how marketing works like that. Thank you for the bad review. That's what it literally says on the back of the cover. Um, so yeah, the idea is it's a quick read and here's how you can understand marketing. So I'd say initially get some of the stuff going yourself and then, you know, marketing should pay for itself. Now you have to have a business that can withstand that and low margins are tight. And I know the logistics business, my dad came from the trucking business and watched it. So, uh, there are definitely tighter margins, but there are also things you can do that are efficient. And there are probably ways to look at marketing a little differently than you would in, that, in like an e-commerce or software company or a growth stage company, but still find ways to drive new customers, keep your existing customers through marketing. There's a lot of things that are probably pretty simple that, again, you could probably pull from the book. We also do free uh, consultations, free audits of marketing to just give feedback to companies and help them out along the way and what you could be doing that could help you out. 
That's awesome. I, I, I love all of that. Great insight, great perspective. Eric, where can folks follow more of your work, buy the book, all that good stuff? Yeah, books available anywhere, Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, etc. So the Hawk Method. And then uh, I'm on every social channel at or slash Eric Huberman. And if you wanted to get a free consultation, just hawkmedia.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. We will link to all of that in the show notes just to make it super easy for, for the lazy folks like myself out there. So thank you again, Eric, for coming on the show. Great perspective, great insight. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, we're closing out this show. No pre-recorded interviews. This is our first show back, I think, of the new year. It might be our second show back of the new year we are, where we actually have a full live show instead of the pre-recorded interviews, which are great. But it's always nice to sort of get the feet wet again with a full live show. And as we sort of round out the end of this show, I wanted to you know, give a little bit of insight because I found this story that is just fascinating to me of when folks see something online or they get you know, really frustrated or the, the, the petty comes out. In them. And if you're shopping for furniture right now or anytime in the near future, because I'm always looking for, you know, stories that not only are a little bit petty, but also have a supply chain angle to them, this is the one for you. Because if you are planning on budgeting for future furniture purchases, you've probably noticed a couple different brands that are, you know, uh, maybe look a little bit similar as the, you know, the high end versus the low end. Uh, and so I got a good one today because Meet the Revenge website created by Redditor L. Gabraham. I, I think that's how you pronounce his last name or L. G. Abraham, not Gabraham. Uh, he said, I got tired of stores selling the same thing, but from a different name to charge you more. So I built a site that connects exact terms, even if renamed wherever you can find them. There are no affiliates, just a revenge product project and a dream. And say he said the reason that he did this, that he built this site, because it's actually a beautiful website that he bought a coffee table from Urban Outfitters for $400 more than it was at Home Depot. And from the, this, if you're looking at the screen, you can actually see the site. It's very uh, kind of Pinterest-esque where it has all of the different photos of all of the different furniture and it lists out the exact place of where you can buy them what it's listed at, and then the alternative places where you can purchase those same items. So think like a, you know, a, a very expensive like furniture retailer. I'm not going to name any names here because they're already on the screen. Uh, but a very expensive furniture retailer where you can find, you know, a very, a very close, almost exact probably exact product on a different website where you wouldn't even really think to go and shop for furniture. So for his specific example, he bought a coffee table from Urban Outfitters for $400. That was $200 at Home Depot. So because he was so mad about that, he built this site. It's called Spoken.io. And it, it's I, I think that it is a brilliant idea. And I love it when people take that perspective or take that lens of, of seeing a problem in the marketplace and just solving it for you know, a vast amount of people. And like I said, he did this. There's He's not making money off of this site. Not yet. He probably will make some money off of it in the future if it takes off, which I think a site like this would take off in the future. Um, but he's not making any money off affiliates or any kind of you know ad deals or anything like that. It's just a petty project that he did it for revenge in order to save other people some money that he wasn't able to save himself. So check it out, Spoken.io, if you're in the furniture market now or in the future. I think it's also a, a, you know, a really good play on just seeing a problem in the marketplace and 
creating a solution to fix it. Now, as we close out this week's show, it's the last day in March. And that means it's the last day for you to take advantage of saving some money because we just talked about saving some money on your furniture. Now save some money on your conference tickets for the future of supply chain that's coming up in May. I think it's May 9th to the 10th over in Arkansas. It's at the Rogers Convention Center, Freightways Future of Supply Chain. If you're watching the screen right now, you're seeing all the fancy graphics for it. So if you the graphics, typically with a conference, if the graphics look good, the conference is going to be even better. And as someone who has attended several different FreightWaves conferences in the past, I cannot recommend going to these conferences more because it is such a fun experience. It's, I think it's the first time, yeah, the first time in two years that the FreightWaves community itself will be back together in person. So you can go and register for the event and you can see all of the speakers that they've announced, which has been a ton of speakers already. It's over at live.freightwaves.com. And as you know, for my fellow podcasters out here, since we got a couple more minutes, I just wanted to drop a couple news nuggets because um, if you're a fan of podcasting, you're probably fascinated, you know, by where the really the industry is going nowadays. And a couple new announcements from this week is updating to the podcasting world. Spotify is testing a new discovery tool. And while you have to have a certain URL in order to check it out, you can just go to Twitter and, and search for, you know, Spotify podcast and it should pop up. But it's a specific URL that you paste inside of Spotify and it helps with the problem of discoverability. That's the biggest issue for a lot of podcasters is that it's very difficult to discover a new podcast that you might like. You typically only find out a podcast that you really want to listen to through word of mouth. And then you might give that show a chance. And so what Spotify is working on is they are working on a new discoverability tool. I was trying it out this morning and I already saved a couple episodes to my playlist. Hopefully Spotify fixes the actual functionality of the podcasting platform because it's miserable to listen to a podcast on Spotify. They drop off, they lose your place of where you're listening to a show. It's very frustrating. So I only listen to certain shows on Spotify. Everything else is over in Overcast. and But that could be the new Spotify discoverability tool should be really, really cool for podcasters out there to get your episodes, not just from a podcast level discoverability, but from an episode discoverability. So if somebody is listening to one episode, then possibly your episode would pop up right after that if it's related in some way. So definitely check that out. Search for Twitter in order to find that exact... It's not really a link. It's like some text that you have to enter into Spotify in order to find it. They sort of made it a little difficult. Um, And then the other one that I wanted to mention is YouTube is adding podcasts soon via RSS feed. So there's lots of growth here in the podcasting space, especially as more companies are taking a, a greater focus and a greater ownership of the platforms that they already have. Not just Spotify, not just YouTube, but Apple as well, making a bunch of changes to their site. So in order to encourage more folks, more folks to listen, uh, more folks to subscribe and share and just make the overall experience easier for not only listeners, but for creators as well and how you distribute your show and hopefully get it out to the masses. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. And if you did like it, I would love if you could rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. It'll take you like two minutes of your time, but it helps a ton for a creator like me to be able to show that review like a badge of honor. And it also helps the show get discovered by others. 
If you'd like to see more of my work, head on over to digitaldispatch.io. I've got some new content collections under the resources tab for folks who are freight brokers, truckers, carriers, freight agents, and also a best of collection for how to fix your website and how to fix your marketing. It's all completely free. And again, that tab is under resources over on the digitaldispatch.io website. The website also includes some links to our social media accounts, along with my products and services, in case any of that is of interest to you. Once again, my name is Blythe Bremley, and I thank you for sharing your attention with me today. Until next time, have a magical day.